um, is in the work is taking place because it's uh, it's so important at this time in this juncture for us to really raise our voice. Right, you know, and you know, before we go any further, you know, I was like really thinking, I said, dang, me, me and Calvin, we've been part of committees here, you know, dealing with policy changes, you know, we, we've been at events where we're promoting stuff in regards to fatherhood. I'm trying to figure out, like, man, me and his brother been doing things for so long, I don't forget exactly how we first met. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, was it at a fatherhood forum event? Was it the, the legacy event? Was it, you know, an, another training that you had? But, you know. I, it, was, um, it was before um, the legacy event. And uh, we were at a, a fatherhood thing and we exchanged cards and, in the passing. And... Um, when we had the legacy event, I reached out to you, invited you, and, and you had been sending me, like you always do, different information and sharing the information. And it just, once the fatherhood legacy uh, for Father's Day event jumped off, um, you know, from there on, we just been, you know, because it's important, you know, loyalty is everything to me. So, um, you know, that, I know that's a hard thing to do but being loyal is what is needed. So, uh, you know, and and, and, and you know, it, it, like I said, it, it, we've done so much together, you know, yeah. we share so many different ideas and opinions, you know, uh, where we want to take ourselves and our programs and our, our ideals in regards to advocating for fatherhood, you know, and advocating for our men, you know, and so, I, I, you know, like I said, I was going back down memory lane, just trying to figure things out, you know, and like, okay, now I know this is where we started. And as you think about starting, you know, uh, I know you're a West Sider, you know. Yeah, 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 but I go everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what, in, in, in uh, what we do, you know, on an everyday basis, you know, the typical male youth, as they're coming up, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, which, what they want to do in life. A lot of times, like, you know, well, I want to be a pro athlete, you know, so I can make money, you know. Uh, I want to go into business and be, you know, be an entrepreneur and, and do this. All right. What transpired in your life in regards to, uh, I want to create some organizations you know, like encourage me, I'm young, good fathers only. I want to advocate for dads. You know, when where does that come from? So to be honest, um I was I be I was a very young high school varsity basketball coach. Um I, I became a varsity basketball coach at the young age of 23, right around the same time I became a father. Um my Godfather, Jim Curry, was an example because Jim Curry made sure when we was hooping that we got to go play basketball in the summer because my high school coach ain't do nothing, right? You know what I mean? So, um, you know, we eventually, it eventually came down to when I 
got kicked out of college that uh, I found my way into the community and I started noticing, right? For, even from my pain, like I wasn't prepared. So nobody taught me. And so when I became a coach, my godfather gave me a whistle. It opened me up to things that i never seen before. So then I started driving to coaches clinics. So as I'm driving to coaches clinics, I'm the youngest dude in the room. And so I'm sitting and I'm talking to the Bill Waltons, the the the, the Five Slime Pajama, uh, Guy Lewis, Tark Taney. I'm having one-on-one -on -one conversations with all these legends, right? And I'm establishing some relationships with them immediately. And so um, at one thing led to another and uh, the varsity head basketball job came down to me and my uncle for the boys. And so they asked, could we work together? And me and my uncle decided to work together. Well, in that case, I transferred after a year or longer at the girls, of course, putting girls in, col in, in, in college uh, in D1 and right, right off the bell, I transferred over, let girls go and begin to focus on the boys. So me and my uncle, we built this program like it had never been built during the time that we was coming up before. Like the program was really solid from academics, parent involvement, meal table, weight room, like, and a lot of that information came from those coaches clinics. So in that process, you know, you learn how to develop someone. So I learned how to develop. And when it came time, we had put all these kids in college, right? We were involved. I was taking kids to parks, to hoop against the best, the whole nine, let's go. You know what I mean? My cousin, who is now associate head coach at Michigan State, my brother, who's associate coach at uh, Missouri, you know, I used to take them up on Finkel, they'd go against the, the Cooley High boys and everything. So we started arranging, uh, we started arranging because they was playing for another coach at that time. I was the the freshman coach, but still involved. And so time go by, um, they don't want me to have the job, John. So they come up with all these gimmicks. I introduce, encourage me, I'm young, in my second meeting. Wow. In the meeting, the my ex-coach and the athletic director and the, the vice president, principal they was getting up interrupting the second meeting right they didn't even want me to get that far wow so i said okay i see the games at that point i had left them uh, the number two ranked state state team in 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 in, in the state with six three six five six nine six sevens a number of players right right so now that team which you know, I was trying to get my uncle not to retire because I had, I had it that we had built this program. So we was going to have a number of kids coming through the program. So little Stannis and all them cats, right. They was coming through the program. So we getting ready to take the program, but my, his son died in a car accident. My uncle let go. They didn't want me to have it because of course, like a lot of people, I, I think that I'm, I come off kind of cocky sometimes, right? Because I'm a confident person. Yes, I have my inconfident moments, but I'm a confident person. 
right? And so I'm, I'm aggressive in my confidence. And I think sometimes that can rub people the wrong way because people want you to be what they want you to be. True. Right? And so when, I, when that happened, right, I was heartbroken. So I went over to Halley with my son, his teammates. So we in the championship for the city championship two years in a row with Halley. Right? So I got, so I got Manny, Manny Harris, Deontay, my son. You know, I got Hoopers. Speaking of Manny Harris, you know, yeah, I'm a referent alumni also. So. Okay. <laughs> right. So, you know, the young man that passed away that was off that squad, I had him in the sixth grade. Okay. His grandparents, the whole nine. You see what I'm saying? So I was always involved, always had my hands to the plow when it came to young men. So I learned right away how to develop young men from, from, the, from the rooter to the tutor, right? And then I was lost. I was out here. All right, I'm gonna go try comedy. I was trying to find myself because outside of coaching, I had to have nothing. I was going to work every day, right? So I began, you know, I tried multi-level marketing, multi-level marketing, all that. It wasn't for me. So I started praying. And um, I recognized, I started recognizing through going to learn to be a comedian, how children were dying. Then my cousin, my, my, my boy called me and said, Kev, thought you was going to turn Encourage Me, I'm Young, Emmy into a clothesline. Well, see, Emmy had already been exposed on the basketball team. People used to come stand and watch our basketball team warm up because the kids would have on uh, Encourage Me, I'm Young, but they had their own version. And on the back, they would have a quote that the kids picked. And so at the end, it would say, Encourage Me, I'm Young. So people would stand and watch our teams warm up. And we were playing the toughest schedule in the state every year, hands down. We didn't care where, where you want to go. Saginaw, Indiana, that's where we were at, you know? And so I'm lost. So I, I decided at that point, I walk in the church and I find purpose. Pastor stand up, Pastor Ronald Griffin stand up, say, you got you to gotta get with them kids. You better go see about it. And my son, my 12-year-old, who at that time, my, my oldest boy, who you see me with, he was right there. So he saw that shift. And so I was freaked out, man. I used to get my name braided in my hair, all kind of crazy stuff. And, <laughs> and, um, I, God started giving me all these quotes. So I started putting, I went and worked at a print shop in Ferndale for free on my off days to learn how to print. So I went there, I would work, learn how to screen print, watch the screens, print, help them. And they still charge me to do my first run. But I started laying shirts with kids was getting killed because I thought it was important that we offered hope and, and inspiration where you saw there was a lot of death. And so we had got comfortable. I noticed the other thing is that we had got comfortable in death. So my voice and my purpose started driving me. And that's how I literally got here. So, and good fathers only come from that I wouldn't mess with you unless you was a good father until I matured in the information. And so when my stuff ended up on Ron's house, I wasn't ready. So my t-shirts is on Ron's house season four 
I wasn't ready. My T-shirts was on Larry Foote on, uh, on NFL Network. I wasn't ready. My, my gear was on Michigan State to the Final Four run. They wouldn't give me a break. Magic Johnson them didn't look at me right. They didn't see me as ready. You know what I mean? So I just kept going and endured. And now 45, 46 cities, six countries, we've planted those seeds in the product, and we're getting ready to come for it all. Wow. But you know what? You really kind of hit it on the head in regards to encouraging our young males. That, that I mean, if you look now, they, they're looking for something to inspire them. You know, they, they see what, you know, what goes on in today's world. You know, they come out of the womb behind the eight ball already. You know, and unfortunately, we raise them like that. Tell them you got to be twice as hard. You got to be twice as fast. You got to be twice as smart just to be on the same level, you know, as, as anyone else, you know. Man. And, and just like you mentioned in regards to the hope, you know, if, if, if especially when it comes from another black male, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to let them know in regards to, hey, you know, I'll support you, you know, I'll model that positive behavior, you know, I'll show you my weakness, I'll show you my struggles, but I'll show you that even though I got knocked down nine times, I'm getting back up 10, you know? Bro, there's so many stories, right? Uh, We did the, when they shot up Sandy Hook, myself, uh, Chris, uh, Tone Franklin, Chris Davis, Rodney Jones, um, um, I forget her, it was a, a, a mother, Crystal Gunn, um, uh, Clarence Barber, right? We put together a box of 100 shirts to send to Sandy Hook. And on the back of it, it says, uh, love is the one thing you can take to heaven, right? We did things like that. Right. We were always involved. So when we sent it to Sandy Hook, racism doesn't allow people to respond. Right. For me, you didn't have to respond. You didn't even have to say thank you. It got there. We know it got there. Somebody accepted the package. You know what I mean? Because that's the way it was sent. Um, there's Ugob's a huge number of stories where this product has helped families. And that was just on the product side. So we were able to stay afloat because of the product, right? And then the state of Michigan, when they decided to give respect day, it was Calvin T. Day. I wanted it to remain respect because what is, the, what is the cultural problem? When our children go to school, they lack discipline and respect, right? Regardless to what the scenario is, right? Because there are a lot of success stories in the middle of this poverty-stricken education that we have, right? right? And it takes the parent, the child, and the teacher. And so we just thought, hey, we're going to do Respect Day till the culture understands that it's not that you call for respect, it's that you respect yourself first. The Chinese culture teaches respect before they even go to school. So if we just modeled our behavior around respect, understanding where the elders, the whole nine, of course we got a lot of brokenness, 
right? Which comes from what you and I are going to get into, right? When you have a single family household, you have brokenness, right? You have brokenness. It's, there's no way around it. You can talk about it all you want to. You can celebrate. You can say, hey, you know, my mom raised me and I, I did this, such and such. That's fine. I'm not taking none of that away from you. My point is kids need both parents. The wholeness that two parents bring. Us as parents, we have to be able to communicate and work together, right? Sometimes it don't work that way. Some parents, they don't want to get along, right? Well, just like Chandra said, why don't you get a you know, mediator where y'all can work? Because because y'all not getting along, guess who is affected? The child. Right. So, but you want to stay in this stubborn lane and try to play this, but it's affecting the child, right? And so, you know, people always, well, the two family, that's all brokenness talking, right? right? It takes two, you don't want to be in business by yourself. You want a partner. You want somebody to help build with. That's in life. That's in marriage, the whole nine. So that, that created a lot of problems, which the system knew they could capitalize on. So when people talk about the, the, the pipeline of prison, the first place I start is parenting right? I start there first. Of course, the system has these things in place for you to fall for it. Not everybody has to fall for it. Right. And, and you know what? I, I tell people uh, in regards to my story, uh, growing up in a two-parent household, uh, moved to the Northwest side, my community, hey, there was two parents there in each home. I did not know I had no knowledge in regards to what a single parent household was, you know, unless uh, one of the parents passed away for whatever reason. Right. But, you know, uh, I was in my mid-twenties. And be like, single parent household now, it's almost like a norm. You know, it's like, this is the way it is, single parent household. And through the media, uh, they keep pushing that image, you know. I don't care whether it's on the news when they're interviewing, uh, they're always interviewing a mom, you know. It's like you never see a dad, like, it's, and nobody's just questioning, like, well, where's the dad? You know, it's like, okay, they're interviewing the mom, it's a tragedy, something's happened, you know, and I'm like, okay, where and how do we change this mindset, you know? And really coming into this year, you know, I think our mindset, the way we have focused and and, and kind of looked at how the family dynamics are being treated, you know, we look at where is, you know, something is not right, you know, especially in the African-American community, you know, uh, as much as we try to promote and much as we try to educate and train in regards to, you know, maintaining a relationship, whether it's loving or not, but for the benefit of that child. You know, we came into March uh, and we had one of the greatest equalizers that I would say in regards to keeping us on the same plane regarding the COVID-19. It didn't matter in regards to globally how much money you made where you went to church, uh, whether or not you were red, black, green, whatever the case may be, 
COVID-19 was going to get you no matter what. But then we got slapped back with reality in regards to how African-American males are treated. You know, uh, I mean, only, only thing I got to do is say the names. You know, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, George Floyd. Looking at that, and I mean, really, it broke us right back down to how society looks at us, especially the roles of our men. So I'm asking you in regards to knowing how we grew up, what do you see as today, like the challenges that men, fathers, they face in regards to establishing manhood and going into fatherhood? Well, first we have to admit that everyone is conditioned against us, even ourselves. You hear conversation that literally puts down the next brother, the next brother, the next brother, right? So we're literally conditioned even against ourselves. I will take up uh, a conversation just like you were just talking about, right? And so when you are citing the males, also in that was women who were murdered, right? In that process, right? We have a tendency to only mention what affects us. So Yes, we're going to mention the boys, right? And we're going to say, uh, you know, or we're going to mention the girls, right? And so then you see where all the education and the money went. Then you see where the denial is. Then you can see in these households where the boy, if he has a dream, right, versus the girl who has education, you can watch even in the conditioning on how they celebrate the daughter versus the son, right? then you can get into relationships, right? The conditioning that we have even has us conditioned in poor relationships, expectation, not knowing myself, relationship to relationship to relationship, right? All of those things play a part in keeping us divided because those are symptoms of the system, right? And because of that, we buy into the conditioning. So, We've been having conversations which have blown me away, right? So we'll say, let's ignore what's going on in your backyard. Okay, so yeah, we, we, got, the, we got the murder rate in the backyard, right? They got a murder rate in the backyard, right? So when they bring up black on black, you bring up white on white, right? But relationship-wise, when you get into these conversations, even our women know they have weaponized the police as well. They have called, even our men know, taking advantage of each other, putting their hands on women, right? These are all symptoms of brokenness and systems where the father has been absent. See, we become super value when you're in trouble. Notice, oh, I need such and such. Oh, we got to have, right? No, let's, let's, let's start up here. No, he don't need to be around. He five. Well, your daddy ain't, you see what I'm saying? So I done moved you, already moved you away. Well, let's look at attention deficit. When the father is involved with his son, he's 40% less likely to develop attention deficit. Uh, let's look at infant mortality. When the father is involved in the process of the child, infant mortality is com cut completely in half. What do we have practiced and condition? Get away from me, I gotta get this checked. I gotta deal with the system. We got to get this because of the system having these things in place, even for jobs. So we stop being creative. 
So now you're not so creative. So you come up here and now we have what? Sisters developing jobs. You have men always have been developing jobs, but we're individual because why? I grew up in that environment and the environment dictates exactly sometime what we will be. So I'm very comfortable when I break up with you, John, it's over, our relationship is over with, I'm used to being by myself, why? Because that's how I grew up in a single environment. So I'm very versed in that environment. We don't look at those things that way. We say, okay, well, it's gonna be straight. I tell different people all the time, how important men are, right? You have nothing, right? Houses, homes, you don't have none of this stuff without men. The problem is, is men, we had to reap because of the things that we did to women, to the system, uh, the cultures, as I told you before, the cultures are reaping. So we just don't understand the conditioning, but we always up for that check. So what do you do for free, right? John, your time, you've done some things for your culture that the check never got to the door. Exactly. And, you know, that's where we are now, you know, that and eventually to remove that condition, you know, or transpose it to where now we really just see a unit, a partnership, you know, dedicated in regards to having a family and moving forward. You yeah. know? I don't, so, I don't want to, I want to, I want to slide this in there real quick. To, oh. to really get this point across. Us being together, husband and wife, in a household, two-parent household, right, is life-saving. You live longer, right? Your DNA re reflects how long you're going to live because parenting is a life-saving method. We, don't, we didn't have this information. We have the information now, right? Your telomeres determine that. I'm constantly getting information. Play with the children is determining that. Like you say, your dad went to work. That's how he provided, right? My grandfather was a plumber. He got 11 kids. That's how he provided. So he went to work all the time. He come home, lay the pipe twice. You know what I mean? I laid the pipe over here, come home, lay, right? But, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, but in that process, we needed more. And so now we have the same opportunity as anyone else to do something beautiful, create a business and spend time with your children. And so legacy has to be the key, but both parents involved, literally you live longer. It's incredible. There you go. Well, brother Calvin, I know there's been time we spent hours, two hours <clears throat> kicking it. Um, uh, but, uh, I thank you for your insight. Um, Calvin Mann, encourage me, I'm young, good fathers only. Uh, Google it, uh, connect with the brother. Uh, he's awesome. And um, I thank you in regards to being available for my show today. Hey, man, I appreciate you. Opportunity upon opportunity, man, I thank you. Before I leave, I have some last words. Calvin Mann mentioned in regards to legacy. Legacy is really just a, a, a movie of your life, you know. Uh, as we say, uh, it's the times that little dash between 
when you were born and when you die. What do you do? What are you doing? How will you be remembered? You know, uh, you don't have to be superstar, but can you be remembered from the positive things that you produce, the positive image that you presented? Will your son, your daughter look back and say, you know what? He was there. And the work that he did, it might not have paid him the top dollar, but it worked and I appreciate him. Calvin Mann is an example in regards to leaving back a legacy. He has so many things in his pot that he's cooking and uh, he would be remembered in regards to the things that he's done. Want to thank everybody that was in attendance today. Um, this is John Miles, Fatherhood Connections, one-to-one -one conversations. We'll see you on the next go-around. Peace, be safe, love.